Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Daniel Hodkamp is a painter from Massachusetts who lives and works in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. He's had shows in venues such as Half Gallery, White Columns, La Montagna Gallery, Zach Fior, and many other venues. He received his BFA from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. His work has been covered in Art News, Freeze, Paper, The New York Times, Art in America, and many other publications. I sat down with Daniel at the Journal Gallery, where his current solo show, Jaws Dropping, is up through October 23rd. The Journal Gallery is located at 106 North 1st Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and its gallery hours are Tuesday through Sunday from 12 to 6 p.m. So here's Daniel and I at his show, In Conversation. So yeah, let's let's start off talking about. I mean, since we're here at the Journal Gallery, your show here, and maybe walk me through the process or the content and your show here before we go back in time. Okay, the show's called Jaws Dropping here at the Journal Gallery, and uh, my idea for the show was, or the jumping-off point for the show is painting, observational painting, from. The East Coast, basically between Montauk, Newport, Fisher's Island, Martha's Vineyard, and Rockport. So sort of the stretch of two or 300 miles of coast, but all these different towns and islands and regions in between, and each one sort of has its own landscape, its own history, or its own art history specifically related to me. And um, it's a sort of... Um, I visited all these places, brought my watercolors, brought my oil paints, made you know uh, a lot of studies and paintings from life, and then I take that work back to my studio in Brooklyn and just keep painting using basically that as a source material, along with iPhone pictures and and you know v- various other types of source material, YouTube videos and stuff to to make the show. Mm-hmm. So. You, speaking about that area, you're from Massachusetts, right? So mm-hmm. did you grow up, but were you from the coast area I'm or did you go fr- I'm from outside of Boston. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the, the, the part of the show that's closest to where I'm from is like the Rockport. Yeah. The Rockport Gloucester. And in the show, that's that sand dune right there, Mass Dune. So mm-hmm. that was an a observational painting from the Cape Ann, the, the place where Rockport and Gloucester is. Um, so that's the sort of coast... I grew up with and that type of light and that you know that um, that vibe was what I, I came up with those were where I went to the beaches so this is comfortable territory for you sure or it resonates with your youth yes yes somewhat I mean I didn't grow up like I grew up in just a suburb outside of Boston but yeah that sort of you know just in the summers going to the beaches and stuff and yeah but you connect to that yeah there's something that sort of you can go back in time and connect to as opposed to like a Hawaiian beach totally. or something when Absolutely. you go there it's Absolutely. a totally different feeling exactly you know? and yeah. so growing up in Massachusetts did you were you doing art at a very young age like did you in 
were your parents artistic or did you grow up you know with a good art program in your in your grade school or high school how did you start getting into it um i mean i think just the way a normal kid would just like a lot of doing art on my own as far as you know drawing in my bedroom and that type of thing Mm -hmm. um but no, I mean, I always had a knack for it from the very earliest age. So it was something that was always just with me and did some, you know, I did some art classes as a very young kid. Stuff my mom would drop me off and go to, you know, some watercolor class or something yeah. with the, in the local, in the town. Uh, so I was always sort of in that direction. Um, my parents were not artists, but they were, they sort of had that creative way to see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, were you close enough to Boston when you were younger that you were going in there to museums and stuff like that? Yeah, all through high school I would hang out in Harvard Square in yeah. Boston. I would go to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and the galleries on Newberry Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, as far as a contemporary scene in Boston growing up, there wasn't really that elaborate. You would, at the Museum of Fine Arts, which is our, the equivalent of like our Metropolitan yeah. Art Museum, um, they, had, they, they would have a contemporary show. So you would see... Yeah, I remember maybe it was after by the time I was in art school, but seeing something like a Cecily Brown show yeah. in Boston. But you'd see it at the big museum. So as far as like uh, a gallery scene, that was never really part of what I was doing. And as a teenager or in high school, I'd be more going to like the shows of like music, going to like the Middle East or the Rat, seeing yeah, yeah. like punk and ska shows. That was more where I would see like get that feeling of like the subculture. Yeah. I would get that feeling maybe in New York you can get that at the galleries. In Boston you get that at shows. Right. So that was always, it was always fun doing that kind of stuff. And the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Cambridge. Yeah. Middle East. I used to be in a band we played at the Middle East. There was an upstairs and downstairs. Right? Yeah. 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 Was there a hierarchy to the upstairs and downstairs? I mean I think if a big band came to town. They were upstairs? No, the downstairs was the bigger part of the venue. Oh, okay. So... Um, so that at that time period, guessing on your age in relation to mm-hmm. mine, there was probably some pretty great music that came through there. Um, sure. Who I, were your hometown heroes? The hometown hero would be like the mighty, mighty Boston's, of course. Yeah. Like, but and I mean, Morphine at the time was oh, always yeah. they were important to me. What I was. About, what about Ted Leo? Was he? Ted Leo, yeah. I saw. Uh, definitely. And the Van Pelt, were they also? Were, well, they sure. were from Prod- Providence. Okay. It was his brother, Chris Leo. Okay. We played a bunch of shows with Ted Leo, oh, cool. and we were. It was like kind of a, and we played in New London too, which is, I believe, a scene of one of the paintings here. That's right. Did you spend any time at the Taz in New London? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's like a venue, you know, where a lot of those bands would play. What was we did? I went to Providence, and that was what was that? The club down there. AS two hundred, I think. Art Space two hundred. But uh, anyway. Yeah. So you music was a big creative scene. I mean, yeah, more so. And I was all through high school. I was. I guess more into music as far as like being like garage bands and then in, yeah. in, in uh, even in like the high school band I did stuff with that so what did you did you play music I did yeah what did you play I played the saxophone me too oh wow when did you start I don't know in like junior high okay. or middle school but it wasn't I mean I didn't it wasn't it was just because that was in my town there was a good music program so you just ended up doing this yeah I had a knack for it somewhat but you know I it was never a passion like the visual arts right and even though I, I somewhat sort of music was sort of bigger for me at the time mm-hmm. as far as the time spent on it I was definitely more even then into you know 
the painting and drawing yeah. type thing. So when you're in high school, you're taking art classes. Some, Are yeah. you doing, the stuff that you're doing outside of that is just these after school classes, or was that only when you and were just younger? stuff I would just do on my own, just yeah. sitting in my room and listening to CDs and drawing in my, my room. So when did you, when, what were you thinking about when you were in high school about going to school, like to go into college? Um, were you thinking art school or college, and how did that come about? I was thinking, I was thinking about it, but I, I wasn't going to art school when I, I went to um, Tufts University, yeah. and so I started college just as a sort of liberal arts. Um, type thing, you know. I don't I didn't know my major, and just was, you know, felt like an extension of high school or something, and just trying to find out what I was up to. But I always had, I always kind of knew in the back of my mind that I was sort of like meant to to do visual arts. Yeah. But I was, I wasn't doing it. Uh, I wasn't enrolled in an art school at that point. So I remember like looking at always being looking at like shows any like art show that I came across, I would always be checking, like, did this artist go to art school? And mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out, like, can you do a show if you don't go to art school? Because I right. wasn't going to art school at that point. So I was like, but I still, the voice in my head was still telling me, like, you'll be doing shows. Kind How of, do I get there? What's the roadmap? Yeah, so, but I kept did checking, it? did they go to art school? They go to art school? And they probably all did, you know? So, yeah. like, um, eventually, but with, with Tufts University, they had a, they have an affiliation with this school of the Museum of Fine Arts, yeah. the Museum School in Boston. So, yeah, actually, now that I think back on it, even from the earliest point of Tufts, before I was enrolled full time in art school, I was taking classes at the museum school. I'd take one per semester. Mm-hmm. Um, Did the bug officially hit you at that point? Yes, yes. So, I was going into the art school in Boston. It was much more funky and cool than Tufts. And, um, so I in almost in, inadvertently ended up building up enough art credits. By the time I joined the, what what at the time was called like the five-year degree or whatever, where you get a liberal, liberal arts degree and mm-hmm. a fine art degree. By the time I joined that, which was like in my second year of undergrad, I had already saved up enough credits of art credits where I, it could seamlessly enter the that program without being too much off track. Was it like, was it directly into a fine arts painting program? Well, I mean, that's... Or was it just a general fine art degree? Or I mean, the museum degree? school is super open-ended. So once you're enrolled at the museum school, you can take anything from, you know, from painting to performance to video to, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, photo or sound work. So you, they sort of did a, a whole spread of, um, of types of classes. So, and did, did you have a professor or someone that was kind of, I feel like a lot of people have that one teacher that fuels them or like that sees something in you and, and kind of like projects you into that, mm. you know, direction <laughs> or were you just loosely taking these classes? No, I mean, I, I think the, the, it was more about me trying to learn how to paint in a, in a setting where, uh, it was a completely like postmodern setup as far as an art school. There were no grades. Yeah. There was no majors. So in the teachers, the faculty was more um, sort of, they had, they always said like, oh, you know, and I, they grew up in, their art schools only taught abstract painting. And now they're my art teachers and they didn't, they were now teaching us like performance art, sound and video. Yeah. And so when, for me coming in there and like wanting, to, you know, I would go to the, the museum and see 
John Singer Sargent and be like, well, how do you paint like that? No one really knew. I mean, yeah. no one, none of the, the teachers knew how to do it. So, right. and it's still the, probably the case, in a, especially in any kind of school like that. So I was always seeking something from my professors that they couldn't really show me. Yeah. And, you know, and... I do you think, think in, the, in the in retrospect that's actually a good thing because you had to or to have that kind of diversity of education and not just as opposed to like if you went to New York Studio School or something. sure 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 I think both have something to offer in retrospect it worked out fine for me yeah, I mean yeah. now I I there were there have been moments in my professional career like in my New York the New York part of what of my life that where I'm just like shaking my head like having to sort of first unlearn something then relearn it and still not you're not really sure you know what you're doing because as far as like you know painting chops and the technical side of things just because you know it's oil painting something of a lost art and it's been you know deconstructed throughout the entire 20th century right so here in our era you know you're sort of just trying to like put the pieces back together if you want to do anything specific with oil painting. I yeah. mean, this is a kind of a specific uh, perspective. So you had to learn on your own, basically. Like, if you wanted to glaze something, you had to figure out your recipe for glazing and how long it's going to dry and how you're going to mix these colors. Sure, it was something you weren't getting. Is that something that you're still doing to this day? Is like kind of like actively engaged in trying to learn about oil painting or? Because I feel like you learn, uh, for me, I work in acrylics. I'm still to this day learning about how to use, you know, water-based media. It's like a never-ending process. Of course, yeah. Always new developments. That's what's different, I think, about water media is, like, there's all these new materials that keep popping up. Whereas oil paint, I feel like, has this tradition and there's kind of, you know, it is what it is. And you can kind of learn that. Yes, yes. I think there's probably things that you can learn as a good foundation for for oil painting, of course, it's just completely open-ended. All you have to do is go and look at art to see yeah. how the myriad ways to to use this material. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's always something to be learned. I mean, that's why it's like kind of a fascinating pursuit because right. you can even like well into the your career or your your you know your showing your gallery life, you can still like be developing and. And I think you, you hear older artists say that, that, that right up until the end, they're still like experimenting and developing. So I think that's great. Yeah. But um, that being said, there are things that I probably could have learned right off the bat <laughs> that would have saved easier. some time or yes. some uh, saves, you know, for keeping from like a pile of paintings that can't, you know, you can't do anything with because they were put together weird or now they're cracking or they just, just any number of, not yeah. that's just even so technical that they'd be cracking just like, Anything from composition to mm-hmm. mixing color, anything that like it's it is it's a it's a lost art. It's a lost art. So yeah, I, I tell stories sometimes about when I was in school. I started using tape in undergraduate school because I was mm-hmm. doing these architectural like images based on my house growing up, uh-huh. and I started using tape. And I I just taught myself how to use. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was like, oh, this can give me a straight line when I need it. So I was doing that over and over into my first year of grad school. Mm-hmm. No one ever told me anything about it. And then I had a uh, visiting artist was Matthew Ritchie, and he came to my studio and he's like, all right, 
We only have 25 minutes. Do you want me to tell you how to get your lines so they're not all messed up and with like runny stuff under it? Or do you want me to, you know, just talk about your work? Right, right. And of course I took the high road and I was like, oh, talk about my work. Oh, man. But one thing I do that I'm really interested in is this idea of observational painting, painting your environment around you. Mm -hmm. And you obviously are doing that in the environment, like observational, not just observing the world necessarily through photographs or through, you know, you know, imagination, but you're actually going to these places and mm-hmm. making sketches. Can you talk about your process with that? Because that might be a lost form on some youth, you know, the idea of going out and plein air painting. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I do it in a, a specific way to like what my interests and my needs. I mean, I'm not going out with an easel and uh, I don't, you know, I, I tr- I'm trying to be like really low key about it. I mm-hmm. do it less for the sort of romance and performance of it and more for the what you can gain from it which is I think just like learning uh, almost everything about color yeah and and the illusion of light and how light works so those are the the sort of driving forces and drawing just like working your hand if you're out there on the spot you're kind of be your hand you have to depend on your hand and not on you know later like looking at a photo and projecting it or tracing it or something you Mm -hmm. just sort of have to like so you work your hand and you work your eye. Um, my tech, my setup <clears throat> for if I'm going fast, I'll I'll use the watercolor. So I'll just like uh, you know, watercolor block. Use like the um, you know nice like it's like that f- French comp. I can't now the the name doesn't. I can't remember what it is, but it's the, the uh, some nice paper. And then just uh, you know, I'm usually I I try to go somewhere comfortable. I mean, what I've been doing with. Um, with the last few shows is like usually just like renting a house mm-hmm. in a place where I want to be. So and you have time, more time to do it? time it- and just space. So if I, if I'll, uh, so I can be on like the porch of this place mm-hmm. and just be like busting out paintings. So no one's distracting me. I sort of want to create more of like an outdoor, uh, you know, an on the spot outdoor studio yeah. setup as opposed to being on like a busy street corner right. in downtown Eggertown or something like that. That's then people will be coming up to you and, you can't I, to me I could never concentrate concentrate yeah, I and I would just be embarrassed you know right. I, I'm more I'm much more like private and shy than that so I like to be in a be situated in a very comfortable spot yeah and then um, yeah so then I'll you know for watercolor I'm using like my squirty watercolors I use Old Holland mm-hmm. and I'll be mixing color and um, and for the oil I uh I have my linen like I stretch it over a, a piece of wood for the for the from life stuff. It's either like a twenty four by eighteen or twenty four by twenty four, mm-hmm. and those are both sizes where I feel comfortable like carrying them moving around, it, yeah. moving and carrying. So, um, and um, yeah, I'll just sit there and usually for a few couple hours and get as much information as I can into the painting, and sort of like knowing that. You know, I can sit there and take iPhone pictures too. So you sort of know that you're gonna you can have gain information later about like the architecture, mm-hmm. um, and any kind of like specific detail like that. I end up being more interested in like the light and and the, like the colors of things in the given light. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, like does the sky it sort of fades from like a dark blue to a lighter blue on the horizon, or you know, um, this. This, you know, I see all these trees. Everything's green, but it is the the green in the foreground is sort of a 
maybe it's more of this like warmer reddish shade of green and the green in the background maybe is like a bluer green. Right. So trying to work out those things just by color matching, mixing a color, holding it up on my palette knife and sort of really testing it and getting that down into the painting. So getting that type of information in the studies or the, you know, some of the quote unquote studies or the from life paintings are also the paintings that end up in the show. So I don't necessarily see them as studies, but they serve that purpose back in the studio and like, and then of course compositional things like if painting some, you know, like the bridge or a house or something. And if you took an iPhone picture, maybe just like a little bit of, you know, it's how does that framed in, in yeah. your, in your photo versus like if you're drawing and painting from life and, you know, drawing in the paint, you can get that whole mansion into the picture and the background just because yeah. you're pulling and pushing and, 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 uh, you can move the lens, so to speak. Like yeah, your, your head, head can move, and yeah. you can put as much of that into the, the rectangle of your your uh, piece of paper or your canvas. So those types of things end up serving when you get back for me, when I get back in the studio, mate. Now I want to make a six by eight foot one of these. Mm -hmm. You know, Then I, I kind of already have a sense of like how to fit that into the space of, of my next painting. So you get all the information you need, whether it's color, light, you know, being there, mm -hmm. like visual information through the sketches and stuff. But when you get back and let's say you scale it up and you're mm -hmm. doing a bigger painting, I would imagine that part of the impetus to be at the location is the experience of it. Definitely. Right? That's a big part of what you're trying to sort of reflect in that image. So how much, I guess you can't quantify it, but I would imagine that a large part of scaling up and working bigger, you're taking you're tweaking things and exaggerating things mm -hmm. and sort of amping some colors up or tweaking the way that things are, because they're not observational paintings in the sense that you're just trying to photorealistically no. represent an image. So what is that gap between what you're seeing and expressing in real time, kind of in shorthand when you're working in the space and then going back and then representing it as, you know, an, a new image? Because mm -hmm. a lot of the colors are, you know, blasted out or like sure. you know, super saturated or tweaked. So what is, what's that equation for you? Um, yeah, that, that's a good summation. Um, I think in the studio, I want, I, I like the idea of like the feeling mm -hmm. of being there. So like the idea of like the vibe or the feeling and the energy, I, I end up picking places as the subject that already sort of they have an energy or a history sort of built in and it sort of becomes connected to this, the landscape, whether it's in this show, you have like the houses where Warhol yeah. lived and worked in Montauk, mm -hmm. or you have, you know, the Jaws Bridge, a place that already, because of like where it is and the story behind it, are, and it has a vibe, it just it's does. It's charge. Yeah, it has like a, a charge. charge. So I want to translate that feeling into the, any painting I make of that subject, whether yeah. it's the study or the final painting. And I feel like only from only being there at all in the first place can you get that as the, as me as like the maker, the artist, me feeling that vibe, I it, like carry it with me and translate it into the painting. So as far as like realism, I want that the realism of like a feeling. I also like the idea of like the weight of something. So even if something maybe like you said isn't like photorealistic or something, it sort of has like the heaviness or more he heaviness than a photo would have. Like the rocks and the cliff rocks yeah. or even like some architecture where you sort of like with your eye in your mind you sort of it feels like the weight of something that is real yeah. you know and the the frame of that 
or the outline of that rectangle, mm -hmm. the girth of that, like that house down there, mm -hmm. you know, it's just taking so much of the top part of that canvas that it's kind of squishing the landscape into a tiny little part of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you feel that heaviness. Yes. You know, I, I was thinking about it too when looking at these paintings, some of the colors, like those reds, it made me think of when I'm down by the water here and, and looking at the city, it um, around when the sun's going down around sunset time. And you sometimes you'll get that super red sky sunset. All the buildings turn red. And you try to take a photo of it, and you can never get it. And that's where photography fails. In a way. Or at least that's... That time. I'm, I'm just not a good photographer. No, it's <laughs> But like that 12. feeling that it's all around you, yeah, yeah. like that red is encompassing. And like down here in this painting with the red, you know, you kind of have that feeling of where it's saturating everything. Right. And I would imagine that that's kind of what you're going for, is to be able to, to push that color to the feeling. You know what I mean? Because the, the color is experiential, but and it's also you can exaggerate it or just give it more to really emphasize the point of the feeling of that place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yes, I agree with that. I think with this particular show, what's well, funny, I mean, well, as we're like looking down, we're on a, a perch <laughs> above the gallery, looking down at the show, but the dune here, which I mentioned before, is mm -hmm. that's probably the earliest painting in the set. Mm -hmm. And here, I feel like that has more of like the realest light that is the old, that's an observational painting. That's the actual one I made in the yeah. dune. There's like sand all brushed into that painting and stuff. Um, yeah. So so but so in this show, I feel like there's a little bit more of a departure where um, I still wanted the sense of, of realistic light, but I wanted to also let the f actual oil paint, the physical paint, sort of like lead the charge. Uh, and this gets into a whole like. Like palette color thing that I've been that I've been thinking about and adjusting, where um, sort of I sort of have a reduced palette in a sense, and, and letting the paints that I choose these sort of end up being kind of specific colors, mm -hmm. and let those paints sort of be the the driving force. And so I'm not fighting what the pigment wants to do. I sort of am embracing it yeah. more so, and then like building a world. Out of out of like almost like the history of the of like the the color or the oil paint that I'm using yeah. or, or like the physical attributes of that color, and then using the, the the logic of how does light work in in the observable world. So I'm sort of combining those, and this show more so like meeting a, a sort of like nexus point of what the paint wants to do mm -hmm. and what nature wants to do, whereas um, probably. Like in the dune painting, and maybe in the earlier, what was the last, like the Barbizon show, it was more about just like direct kind of like color matching. So I'm mixing the color down to like, you know, what is that sky color? Here I'm sort of saying like what the paint kind of wants to be this mm -hmm. shade of blue, mm -hmm. and using that as a jumping off point. In, yeah. in doing so, getting more saturated colors and more like moments of like far out color. Yeah. Uh, whether it's this like bright pink, you know. And this idea that as you limit your palette, then you can work even more. Like you're getting even more subtle differences yes. within that limited yes. range that you're working with. And things start to pop more because you're yeah. not the, the you get you're trying to limit your mud, yeah. the mud thing that happens with paint when yeah. you have like well I use two blues and I used like this also this violet. So now right away you like have all this like blueiness. Like right. whereas maybe if you had just you picked your like fav one shade of that blue world, mm -hmm. like and then. Um, 
and accented it with, you know, like your Viridian or something, like a, your green. So you're going to, where you th were trying to hit with your, th your concoction of your blue jumble, yeah. trying to hit that some cool blue, maybe instead you just pick the one and like hit it with some other color altogether. Right. And it just arrives at that. I end up using like flesh tones. Mm -hmm. uh, I use them for flesh, but also like you, you buy like a pink flesh tone mm -hmm. from only certain companies I'm, I'm like messing with now, but like using that pink as, as your white. So right. with painting, you are, you're always like squirting out tons of white. It just basically, I've, it just happens. It's yeah. just any kind of, you know, shade of color that you're trying to hit. Uh, you end up usually having to it's use. It's like light. People just think when you're painting, you think of anything that's having light hitting it or you're noticing the light of it. You Your brain goes to white. Yeah, you want it lighter. And and usually that is the answer. I mean, right. especially like at the beginning of a painting if you're getting big colors. But if you, big, big amounts of colors. But I've, there are certain other lighter shades uh, that can service that. So like you using a flesh tone, which mm -hmm. that, that pinky color out of the tube is already like, it's in that white world. Right. Uh, it has white in it. I mean, Naples yellow is another example of it, a little bit more tricky, but <clears throat> to use. But um, so sometimes taking that like pinky flesh tone and just like hitting it with, you know, a little bit of violet, it makes this like very exciting color, you yeah. know, without turning to mud. So things like that I'm, I'm interested in. So when I say like a limited palette, I also like go to pigments that are um, really, really like, what's the word? Like they can do a lot of stuff. They mm -hmm. can, they're not flexible. That's like the wrong world, but they, they have, they can pull and reach in different directions. Flesh tone is a good example mm -hmm. of this. Yeah. Uh, so when you're out and working in the location, mm -hmm. is your palette physically restricted a bit because you don't have all your, you know, resources in a studio? And then do you find yourself working within that, or do you pretty much have everything there? Yeah, because I yeah I'll bring, I bring what I need. Sometimes I end up like, the times outside, I end up having like the more most complete amount of gear because I'm like well I'm gonna travel to France to paint, so I want to make sure I have, have yeah. the right stuff. So whereas in the studio, you know, oh I just ran out of like this color, right. I have to go to the art store, but and then you you know fudge. I, I I've done this enough to try to prevent that thing from right. happening, but it's sort of like. It happens. It happens. So you, you, uh, um, so sometimes like the on the spot, you'll have like the on the spot painting, I'll have like more. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I'm still sort of thinking about this like reduced palette. I yeah. mean, in things that like how, how, how much range like, can you get, um, with, with less? Because my theory is that with less, you're going to get, keep things bright and rich. Yeah. As far as the painting. Bigger question, mm. when you're out and about, mm. are you listening to music? No, no. Silence? Yeah. Environmental noise? Environmental noise. And it's not because I'm against music. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't. In the studio, I'm listening to music and stuff. But no, out? No. Uh-uh. So, it, well, in the studio, what, what's, your, what's your playlist? Like, what have you been... I, I'm pretty much, like, all about WFMU right now. Are you okay. familiar yeah, with yeah. this radio station? FMU. Because, I mean, ironically... My my the internet in my the floor of my building where we're all sharing mm -hmm. it just went it went out like the account closed and we never reopened it mm -hmm. and uh, so my internet died and then I I discovered the radio <laughs> and it that's so no more Spotify instead I just used like oh I can like 
go back to like the old media. Yeah. So it's like a regression. And then and then the radio I had had a CD player on it. So then I started going, pulling all my old CDs yeah. out. So it was this funny like, like the internet went down, and then you rediscover what was already there. Right. And WFMU is much more satisfying and entertaining than Spotify, and they play all. The, they yeah. play new stuff and weird stuff. I mean, this radio station is literally crazy. It, yeah, it's, and it's, it's like almost like diverse. <laughs> it's diverse, but it's just like cult-like kind of. I mean, where if you listen to it a lot, I don't really prior to that like listen to it when I'm in the car or if like I rented a U-Haul to move some paintings or something, and mm-hmm. I'd have the radio on. Then like, what is this weird station? But if you listen to it all the time, it becomes this like they they start to the voices in your head start they start telling you you know yeah what to do what to think right but in a way in it. You know, there's a lot of good ideas bubbling up from that place. It's nice, though, after going into, like, the digital playlists where mm-hmm. it's just on shuffle, recommended playlists or whatever, it's nice to go back to listening to radio and hearing a voice every once in a while, mm-hmm. talking about the music. And it's in real time. And, yeah. Like, and, if you went yeah. to... And it's free. Yeah, it is free. If you went to the uh, the hypothetical studio floor of twenty early 20-somethings, you know, and took out the internet, I wonder what kind of... Bedlam would ensue <laughs> because they're so used to like there's no CDs with those people you know with like, like the younger kids yeah I mean you know well, maybe they're just their iPods but you're saying there's none of that well it's just you know without um, I'm interested in this idea like you seem like a painter that could completely survive if you had no digital life because you would just go out you know what I mean except for Instagram yeah <laughs> right which is <laughs> um. But, but there's, there's a lot of people who depend on digital media. I mean, part of, sure. a big part of my work is animation and working okay. on a computer. Um, you know, it's, I feel like you wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily need that because a large part of your work is about that literal connection you have to where you are. Yeah. I, think I'd, I don't want to say it's like a, a response directly, but I think that there's a place for this like slowing down, being in an environment... Or even just making a painting itself, it's sort of it's very physical. I mean, the, all the object, the, I mean, the materials are all right there with you. There's nothing digital about it, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a place for it in culture today. I'm not saying it's like it should be the the like leading form of expression. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. saying it's there's a place for it almost in the aspects of it that are run counter to what we're more used to getting our entertainment and media from these days. So. Right. I just think it, it, it's a, re, it's, everything's a response or is in communication with the way we get, especially as a visual person, mm-hmm. right? You're mm-hmm. making images to talk about our world. Mm-hmm. So right now with the, you know, how, um, how big technology is in our day to day of seeing things, you're either making work about that or you're not. And if you're not making work about that, it's saying something about it. It's so. In other words, if you if you were extreme and you only made work about in plein air, mm-hmm. then that is a comment to an extent because you're you're not relying on photography or digital media. Right. And there are people who were make work completely on the computer, and it's about that. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. So it's kind of all relative, really. It's yeah. kind of like the Agnes Martin thing where everything's about beauty. It's either about beauty or it's about the lack of beauty in the world. You know, it's kind of that all-encompassing okay. conceptual thought about, you know, the process of making images. Mm-hmm. But is that something that you're interested in at all? I think for me it's more about oil painting. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, it, it's more about this, 
uh, sort of general history of like oil painting's been around for a really long time, but also like what I just like the idea that some of these materials have been like passed through generations, and uh, I I end up using the paints that are like the old European paints, whether they're very common paints like Windsor and Newton, mm-hmm. or some of the other brands from Old Holland or Senelier, um, that I just, I, I find it like this, this interesting connection to be using those materials and how, why, how, how do they work and that they're, they still work mm-hmm. today. And the paintings can look very different, but there's certain things that happen in there that are that give you that like feeling when you're at the museum and you're looking at something that's like 500 years old an oil painting that's very old and in little resonances of that that happen in the studio today yeah is is interesting and being in dialogue with that stuff you know somehow yeah, yeah so far and then also the idea of it happening after the deconstruction of the 20th century after abstraction essentially minimalism mm-hmm. and then f- to come back to more representational style painting me yeah. being more in debt to like Manet and um, like Corot than in debt to like de Kooning and Franz Klein I like those guys and I like that where painting like how it went through them and it, it had to do all that but for me today I feel like less I, it, it's Looking at, at 20th century abstraction or abstraction of today is like, to me, there's like less of a, there's less jumping off points mm-hmm. that there's less places where I look at that and say like, what, what can be done now? Or, you know, could this be done bigger or bolder? Or is there another, is there another form of expression in that? When I look at, you know, a, a, a crazy abstract painting Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, cool. You know, like they're sometimes fun to look at, but it doesn't give me that feeling like I gotta go and make one of these. Or when I look at some of the, when I look at something by Manet, I'm like, all right, well, what? There's such a feeling and a sense of place and an essence and a quality and and a mastery mm-hmm. in, in some of that work that that's what really gets gets me excited. But there is, I think, there is something in talking about older painting like that and. I think about music and I think about like let's say today you love jazz right so you're a jazz musician let's say and you're making that's not me but yeah no no but I'm saying <laughs> let's okay. let's say someone loves jazz and they're making jazz music and it's responding to Miles Davis and Sonny Rollins and Dizzy Gillespie and things like that and it's sort of an updated version of that but it's indirect they're using the same instrumentation sure. and things like that as opposed to someone, let's say, like Corey Archangel, who's using digital media to make, you know, um, videos that respond to, or it's just a, a different processes. You know, it's a kind of like thinking about what your work is in dialogue with historically right. and what that means today. So you could argue that like Corey is this—he's as much in dialogue with like a Manet culturally as like an oil painter like myself, even though the me- mediums are totally different the position that he's sort of carving out as sort of like a radical commentary on contemporary culture, you could argue that was similar to what like the Impressionists were doing. Right. But he's using the the medium of today. Exactly. Basically, and not an old, right, right, like right, kind right. of romantic relationship with old 
Totally. Medium, which totally. oil painting is. It's an old, there's a history there. Totally, totally. So he's he's not in dialogue with the physical history of the medium. You would never confuse a Cory Archangel piece with, with an old painting. Yes. yes. So I'm just interested in the sense that today in making the paintings that you make, mm-hmm. which I love the oil painting and I love this right. dialogue with the history, how you think about what it's what it's saying like what is it to hear a ragtime band now down the block in Williamsburg uh, when it not saying that that's what you're doing no 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 but I, I mean you. to it's it's quoting a historical kind of music or kind of painting totally you know totally. what I mean absolutely absolutely that is um, not like a judgment no no no, no. I like this this line of thinking is is very compelling I uh, it, it I mean it, it is interesting I, I guess my hope in like the the end is that like using the secrets of like the old timey painting and mm-hmm. then updating enough where it looks like at least somewhat relevant today. That yeah. would be the goal. I'm not necessarily like repeating the old school stuff, but um, no, it's definitely different. Right, right. But you, but it's almost like the secrets are embedded in the old old painting that they apply mm-hmm. to even the most crazy abstract oil painting you can think of, and. It's like in the contemporary setting, many of those secrets have been so like buried or forgotten mm-hmm. that if you went to make a an abstraction or something that you thought of was like an entirely new way of painting, mm-hmm. w- without knowing some of the like the wonderful like secrets of color and the grayscale and mm-hmm. like without knowing that you would. Um, you, it would still look thin or something. It, it's like, right. it, it doesn't have to look like um, the, the old painting, but it's, it's the, some of the, the it, some of the truth of the old painting still applies yeah. in the, the new material or whatever. So. No, I get it. And the same thing if it was like jazz. I mean, I think jazz actually is, that's always an example of like it has like the exact same issue. I mean, I think if you were like a person playing jazz today, if I was me. I still played the saxophone or you mm-hmm. and and was playing jazz I mean it would be hard to like like justify it I think jazz is like like crazy by itself like the whole idea of like jazz music mm-hmm. is like what is it? it's just like guys playing horns making you know when you hear it when it's done well it's it's very moving but it's such a we- it's kind of a weird form of music that we the culture has just come to fully accept because it's been around for long enough but I mean I think it's a language, and you know, the pe- there are people making jazz today. Yeah, like I think jazz music as an avant-garde idea is now in electronic music. Like that is where new boundaries are being pushed. Sure, like sonic boundaries. Or yeah, yeah, and, and jazz just offered that at that time. At the, at the time, jazz was that yeah, yeah avant-garde, just like abstract expressionism or sure, abstraction sure, sure. was at that point. There are people now using the language of jazz and tweaking it and making new ideas with that old form and it's the content is the idea in relation to the old form of making and i think that's what your painting does it's you're usually using that form Mm -hmm. of a painting that you've been inspired by from early on but you're doing new things in it and the dialogue between those two events is what is where the content becomes really interesting. Okay, yeah. It's the tweak in it that's right, right. You know what I mean? It's that's kind of the conceptual um, interest and in, in kind of what pushes it 
and the dialogue between it makes it more it deeper. You know what I mean? Right. Than just making, you know, a zombie abstraction or something that's or you know something that mm-hmm. has no necessary relationship or is just merely quoting something. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's the richness of of finding. You're basically just like maybe a contemporary jazz musician is finding that old language of jazz and then adding to it or adding something to it, but working right. within that language that you're doing the same thing of finding that, that language of a certain kind of painting with oil paint yeah. and then adding something to that. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I also think that I try not to pretend or be anachronistic and like pretend that like 20th, century or the 20 and 21st century art like didn't take place so mm-hmm. it's sort of like what would painting look like if you know again if, if like Pissarro he would be he's always a good example because of like he's sort of just like just painted from life it's like yeah. he's never it's mastery but it's never like over the top you still kind of feel his hand he's he's like yeah. a regular guy like what if he was alive today same dude but he had he'd seen all this abstract painting mm-hmm. take place because none of those guys saw that, right. you know. And then, what would his stuff look like now? So that's, I kind of it's that's like what a, you're doing. Yeah. So I'm like <laughs> trying to be like, well, like you'd have to like fill in that, you know, like fill in the blank, you know. And it would, might be would be like this. There are other good examples. I mean, like Port. I was like Fairfield Porter is a great example yeah. of this. Like he he painted during the time of like the height of abstract expressionism, mm-hmm. and. He still was like realist, observational, and he he did those paintings are like a great meshing of the pure abstract painting and staying in the realm of realism where you still feel the weight of something in the light. I mean that's a good. He did a good job with that. I think. I I hope or hope, I think the vibe of my paintings is is a little different, and some of my solutions are different from that. But I still sort of like try to take on that dialogue of like, what what. You know what could representational painting look like? I mean, I'm answering the question with the show, right? I mean, right. that's sort yeah. of like that's the it. answer. But I do try to. I mean, like for instance, in like the bridge painting mm-hmm. here, we can see it down from our perch. But like the again, it's like a very specific location. The architecture of the bridge is there. There's some figuration, but I I wanted the feeling of of the movement of the water, mm-hmm. and I my solution there was these broad. Um, Brush strokes at the the on the at the the low side, the bottom of the painting. So, I sort at that part of the painting, I, I felt like if you know, I felt like an abstractionist. Like I was just t- had a big hardware store brush, just gooped it up with all this this you know, greeny blue paint, and just yeah. like you know, banged out these long brush strokes. Then I changed the color, and, and banged out another, and it was just like over the course of you know just a little bit of time, just really making these big broad strokes that, yeah. and I just let them hang there and I didn't fuss with them so that I wanted that feeling the energy of and the movement of the water um, and I to find that solution I sort of use what I imagine is like the language of abstraction yeah so things like that are always I'm always looking for those moments they happen in the, in the show they happen in the clouds where um, the clouds become just shapes that are sort of like forcing compositional moves the energy uh, so you can sort of feel that me as the artist, you feel like, what was it like to make that mark, or, uh, you know, that you, the process of me making it is sort of like hanging on the painting. It's laid bare. Yeah. Try not to cover it up or glaze over it or, or or fuss with it too much. 
so there's moments like that in, in many of these paintings, and then they're counteracted by moments of more where I really like painted something out, some drapery, some clothing, or mm -hmm. you know someone's foot or something like that. So I'm trying to have these two things hang together yeah. and still like read as a picture. I think that's the beauty of it. It's a lot of people get irritated about. Um, like if you look at a painting and, and your mind goes immediately to some artist before that. Mm -hmm. and, but I, I feel like that's a dialogue for me that's so interesting. So like if I look at this, when I look at the show and names pop into my head, yeah. like Milton Avery or sure. Roger Brown, you know, people like that, like the flattening of like those waves in that bridge painting mm -hmm. makes me feel like the Roger Brown clouds a little bit. Okay. You know, there's different sure. things that have come after the people that you're talking about, yeah. whether it's Manet. And I love that dialogue, you know what I mean? It's kind of like when you listen to music and you, you hear a little bit of, you know, this kind of like an African music and this, you know, this new kind of drum and bass. Or I don't know, there's so many different uh, pieces there that you can, that different people who have encountered different images will associate with it. Right. And that's really the fun of like working within a visual medium because you're not writing a book, you know, you're not telling an essay about what you feel about when you went to the beach you're making this image that resonates with every single image that's ever been made before it. And whatever person comes to that has a different sort of Rolodex of all those images and brings a whole different experience totally. to it. And that's kind of the beauty of, of making work and sharing it with people, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to, it's not necessarily about, you don't want, you know, derivative is like a bad word in, in contemporary art, but it's, it's more like dialogue or, yeah. you know. With conversation. Conversation, in these, every, Every visual form has it is a history. Yeah. So to have that kind of, you know, names pop into your head, it's just, it just happens. Yeah. With every type of art. Right. You just don't want someone to like think they're in that person's other person's show or something. You don't want right. like wholesale if, confusion. If like, one name just drops yeah. down, it's there the entire I'm time. There too, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think as artists and like when you're in school. You have a tendency to like wear your influence, you know what I yeah, mean? And you probably should. I mean, to be completely honest, you like, work through it. Right? Yeah, you need. If there's someone like I love Peter Doig, it's like okay, well, don't worry about like getting too close to that because there's so much gap between an art student and what yeah. someone like a Doig or Katz or whoever could accomplish. Then just go in that direction, and that's why I think in back in the day they would probably would be like copying more work. Yeah, like an art student would be like really making copies of their favorite Rembrandt or whatever you know in like we in my experience it's like that that is doesn't happen really yeah. anymore they can make a copy of like some Carl Andre like <laughs> floor tiles like no one does this you know right. what I mean so um, we we live in an environment where it's all about like new and the right. original voice and being completely unique which is a myth unto itself uh, totally yeah. and then in doing like striving in that direction yeah. You give up so much. You Definitely. give up so much as far as like the student, you know. Yeah. Because you you end up not you can don't learn the basics. Yeah. So Well, I I really, you know, love the experience of seeing these and all the different places in my mind go geographically and through history and through now and and I think it's really strong stuff. So congratulations on the show. Thank you. What do you have coming up? Um Little Downtime? Uh <laughs> not really. I mean I'm I I mean, this winter we have Miami doing some mm -hmm. um, here with the, with the journal. Actually, they're going to take some stuff to Miami, making new stuff for that group show this winter. 
with Mira Dancy, and that's at um, Derek Eller. That's me, Mira, and Jane Freilegger. And, and that's more of like a cityscape, sort of like an evening look, more violet color, and mm-hmm. uh, more of like the night city yeah. is the theme of that show. In 2017, I'm in this sort of a multimedia um, project at the Metropolitan Art Museum. Nice. So That's so got to yeah, feel good. Yeah, that feels good. <laughs> so yeah, it's a busy schedule and just full-time studio just in there every day. I mean, I took a few days off during the install and... Slacker. It took just a few days off. Just there weren't days <laughs> off. It was just I was sitting in my studio, just like staring at the wall, like but that's having right? expended so much mental energy to yeah. get this body of work out the door, and then you know. But now I'm you know just back into it, and it feels good to just be painting and yeah for you know for a month or so, not worry too much about deadlines. And yeah. And if people want to see your work online, what's the best place? To your name website? Yeah, I have a website. I mean, the journal put up images, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I actually do Instagram a lot. I feel like Instagram is a good, um, it's or it's good, maybe not the right word, but it's sort of this addictive thing for visual artists, right? More so than the other social medias, just because it's so visual, yeah, and it's just single images, and you know, it's just a good way to keep dialogue open and have people catch on to what you're up to. So I'm actually like a somewhat. Um, like I, I, I'm somewhat up to date with my Instagram, so yeah. to speak. And um, um, and what's your address? Just my name, Dick okay. Daniel Heidkamp. So cool. Uh, so that kind of thing, yeah. Nice. All right. Well, thanks for meeting me here. And chatting. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. It was thanks, great. Thanks for a good conversation. Thank you. Thank you.